journey in Luke's gospel, looking at simply Jesus trying to journey uh, with the gospel writer as he tries to present to us both Jesus' person and Jesus' teaching. Some of you, probably not many in this room, um, would be old enough to remember in the 60s there was a um, very famous gentleman who was on television and he had a program called Civilizations. It was before I was born, so there's no chance I would remember that. Lord Kenneth Clark. Does that say anything to anybody? Some of you still remember. It was uh, Actually, it was an award-winning television documentary. Uh, he was a historian, incredibly gifted. And one of the interesting things about uh, Lord Kenneth Clark, it, it, it's not that. It's not the Labour politician. It's a different one. <laughs> one of the interesting things about Lord Kenneth Clark is the fact that he had a certain seemingly turning point in his life. Obviously, as a historian, he visited many sites. And in his autobiography, he recalls at a time when he visited this beautiful church with wonderful architecture. And something had happened to him. And the way he described it in his autobiography, he said this, My whole being was irradiated by a kind of heavenly joy, far more intense than anything I had known ever before. So you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe something will happen to this man. But what he described to be the flood of grace, interesting language, created a problem by, to him. And he realized that actually if he allowed himself to be influenced by this spiritual experience, he knew he would have to change. He knew that his family might think he'd lost his mind and maybe the intense joy that he sensed in that moment would simply prove to be an illusion. So he said in his conclusion, I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course. And that's probably the story of many people who have an encounter with Jesus. And there's probably a variety of responses that people draw from Jesus. There are so many people who don't understand who Jesus really is. And they start following a sort of dissected, truncated, personalized, according to their own wishes and needs version of Jesus. And they never really follow the real Jesus. Other people do a sort of superficial uh, embracing of Jesus as a fan, and then when the novelty wears off, they bail out. And probably some, like Lord Kenneth Clark, just simply look at the cost of following Jesus and say, no, thank you very much, but I think I'll stick with my way as I've been doing it. The times that we live in certainly are very serious times. It isn't a coincidence that we had a global pandemic lasting at least two years, and then it, it just feels like we're living in a horror movie or in an apocalyptic novel with everything that's happening with what we see. These are critical times that we live in. Somebody writing about this said, often we see more clearly in adversity. We are blinded in times of peace and prosperity. And I'm just praying that we would not remain blind in a time like this. 
it would be a pity to not get the message. The most important issue, I really believe, whether now or in any other time, is simply the identity of Jesus and our response to it. That will always remain, whatever political situation we're in, whatever pandemic we're in, whatever's happening in our lives. The most important, crucial question of our life is who is Jesus and who is Jesus for me? And this is what we're going to look at this morning as we explore Jesus' teaching on discipleship. You would remember the context. Uh, Pastor Ian brought to us the message when Jesus fed the 5,000. So uh, there was an incredibly supernatural display of power and love from Jesus. And obviously many people would have been drawn to that. We are selfish in our core. We want to get something for ourselves and we want to get something for free. So it would have been very natural for people to be enthused and to want to follow Jesus and get more of that, what what they've already had. But Jesus isn't interested in that. He doesn't want to be reduced to just a miracle maker. You've got to hear this. Jesus did not want to be reduced to just being a miracle maker that fed 5,000 plus people. He wants to make sure that people really understand who he is, And what he demands of those who want to follow him. And that's why he talks about discipleship. So I think right now, if you're following the chronological story of what's happening, if anybody would have bought into the sort of consumerism, Jesus as my provider, Jesus meeting my needs only, Jesus just comes and bursts the bubble when he begins to talk about discipleship. So we're in Luke chapter 9. And we're going to read a few verses, uh, beginning with verse 18. Luke 9, beginning with verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? Jesus asked Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. I will stop there. See, Jesus isn't just pleased with having a big fan club. He goes to the disciples after spending time in prayer. And again, I just think you constantly find Jesus spending time in prayer after some really powerful, supernatural um, popular moment in his ministry you'd find that you know early on in mark chapter 1 verse 35 jesus healed right into the night people were crowding at the door and many people have been healed and set free what does he do the next morning he goes out into the secret place to pray why because i think jesus needs to constantly be spirit-filled and have clarity and not be drawn into the popularity game so he is Again, praying in private, so he has real clarity about his mission. He's not duped into the popularity game. And he goes to the disciples and asks a very difficult question. And he says, who do the crowd say I am? In other words, what's the word on the street about me? What are people saying on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok? What are people talking about when they talk about me? And there would have been many opinions. And the disciples reply and point it out. And some say John the Baptist. Others Elijah. Why? 
Because actually, what people seem to be remembering about Jesus, and this is fascinating, if you take Elijah and John the Baptist, those guys were pushing a hardcore repentance message. They were not messing about. <laughs> you know, John the Baptist was calling people brood of vipers. He was using strong language, calling people to repent of sin. Elijah did the same with Israel that was rebellious and warned about the coming judgment. So actually, it's interesting that people don't associate Jesus with nice, kind guy in a big, long robe with, you know, long, wavy, blonde hair and blue eyes going around patting kids on the back and saying, bless you, they're there. No. They identified Jesus as either John the Baptist or one of the prophets, Elijah, or one of the other prophets had come back to life. So there was a strength of the message of Jesus that people were getting. And again, we must never forget this. We tend to get into this imagery of Jesus, again, gets edited and truncated to whatever we want Jesus to be. But the fullness of Jesus, actually, if what people were grasping him, at that moment in time, the disciples recalled back, is somebody who brought a message of judgment and a call to repentance. That's what was there. It would have been bizarre because John the Baptist had just been beheaded. So it's kind of, you know, how, how, how can, did the news not get out? How, how, how did people not know about it? Elijah, I mean, you know, kind of what we're we talking about, what kind of weird reincarnation stuff kind of are we talking about? It just seemed a little bit strange. So obviously people had mixed some of the evidence of what they've heard and seen about Jesus with some speculative stuff. And again, that's the danger that happens very often, is that people get bits and pieces of Jesus and they add a little bit of speculation of what they think about Jesus, and it all gets messed up. Thankfully, in the midst of those opinions, Jesus asks the bullseye question. Forget about opinions. Forget about what people say. What do you say? This is the constant conversation I'm having with my non-Christian friends. They love to talk about opinions. They love to talk about who says what about Jesus and what seems to be about Jesus. But they're very afraid to answer that very personal question that we must never evade. Who do you say I am, Jesus is saying. And he's asking the disciples that question. There's no get out clause. And thankfully, Peter has a sense of incredible divine revelation. And he says, you are the Messiah. You are Christ, the Christ of God. And in other words, for Peter, the penny had dropped and he realized that Jesus was the promised one, the deliverer. Now, of course, Israel probably expected a deliverer that would probably, and particularly in that time, would be a deliverer from the Roman oppression, the religious People in Israel probably expected somebody who would restore worship and, 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 and restore the, the, the spiritual life of the people of God. Everybody had a an, an particular personal expectation when the label Messiah was being used. But everybody included that. He was the one that was sent by God to be the Savior. And of course, Jesus was that. He was the one that promised. And he came. And Peter gets it. And it is the really important thing that you see here about Jesus' identity. Who is he? We must realize that he is the Messiah. He was the one that the prophets had promised, that the scripture had written about. The one that came to solve the problem of sin for mankind. And he is now here. He is the son of God who came to save the world. 
And Peter got it. It was his personal opinion. It wasn't what other people said. It was his personal opinion, but actually it wasn't his personal opinion. It was a personal revelation. Because it was the Holy Spirit that enabled him to see through the speculative. Is it John the Baptist? Is it Elijah? Is it some other prophet? No, no. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are the Christ of God. You are the appointed one that was promised by the prophets. We must realize that it is impossible To be right with God and be wrong about Jesus. This is the crucial point. There's no room there for speculation and maneuvering. We must really understand Jesus' identity. We must really understand who he is. If we don't, it's impossible to have that restored relationship with God. And that's why Jesus drives this into the disciples, trying to make them realize that they need to have the right answer about who he is. There may be many, many people around us who may be God-fearing, who may be nice, who may be moral. They may even pray. They may even read the Bible. They will certainly go to church, but that doesn't make them disciples of Jesus. It is only an acknowledgement that Jesus is the Messiah, the one sent by God to be the Savior of the world that reveals Jesus' true identity. If people believe that Jesus was a healer, they don't get it. He was far more than that. If the people believe that Jesus was a, the one who reached out to the outcasts and mixed up with people that were seen spiritually impure, yes, he was that, but he wasn't just that. They missed the point if you think that Jesus was just that. There are versions of Jesus that some people love to get, but without getting this truth, the answer that Peter gave, Jesus is the Christ of God. We will never understand his true identity. But then he begins to talk about our identity as his disciples. Look at verses 23 to 26. Then Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit? His very self. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. It's not as if Jesus is simply asking them, who do you think I am, without actually saying something about what they need to do as a response of that. Coming to Jesus and discovering his true identity demands a reply from us, a response, not just verbal but in terms of following him. If you truly realize who Jesus is, you cannot, the natural spiritual consequence, you cannot but become his disciple and start following him. If you haven't started following Jesus, I, I would su- gently and politely suggest you've not met really Jesus. You've not realized his identity. You cannot meet Jesus and say, well, you know, whatever. I carry on living my life as I want. You've never really met him. And that's what he's trying to say to the disciples. Once you give the answer, who do you think I am? What does that mean? What's the consequence of that? What is my identity in relation to you? And Jesus is calling them to be his disciples. And he says, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. If anyone. 
That's a freeing word. It's not exclusive. So much in the society in which we live in, it's either about being self-entitled, being born in the right family, in the right environment, in, 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 in the right context, in the right country, and things being good for you, or self-achievement. You work so hard in order to get where you want to get. Jesus is leveling it. And he's saying anyone, and that includes, you know, anyone. Nobody is excluded from being a disciple of Jesus. In so many other things in life, you may want to do, but you can't. You know, I may want to play for Man United, but I can't. For obvious reasons. I may want to run a marathon tomorrow, but I can't. For very obvious reasons. There are many things in life that we we may want, but we can't. We're excluded. Either self-excluded or excluded because of the context that we're in. But Jesus, when he's inviting people to be his disciples, he's saying anyone. It is not exclusive. It is not just Jewish people. It is not just people with blue eyes. It is not just young people or old people, rich people, poor people, anyone. And that's incredibly freeing. But that also means that there is a personal choice. That anyone needs to desire to be the disciple of Jesus. And that's a personal choice. Somebody else can't make it. It's not a bulk group joining to follow Jesus. It is anyone, a person, one, that has to make that decision to actually follow him. But it's incredibly inclusive. If anyone would come after me and be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross. That's the normal Christian birth. That's a normal Christian message that, frankly, doesn't often get told. Because it doesn't sound like a great evangelistic message. (laughs) Come and sit on your electric chair. Come and get ready to be hanged. Come and be ready to die. But that's the very message that Jesus is saying. He's saying everybody's included. It's your own personal opinion. But let me tell you, this is a hard road. This is a road in which you die to self in order to let me live through you. And it needs to start there. Every single moment we step into the journey of following Jesus, we're attending our very own funeral. And again, and again, and again. Because you don't just die once, you die daily. And Jesus is hinting at that. And even the image that he's using, notice that this is being said before Jesus died on the cross. But he's using the imagery of the cross, which was incredibly offensive. Think about uh, the, 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 the harrowing images that are coming out of Ukraine right now that you don't want to see. The New York Times published a, a, a harrowing picture on their front page last week of three deceased people in a street. And the truth behind the story, it was, it, it was a man who was further away on, on, on the other side who saw the picture and realized that was his wife, his daughter, and his son killed on the street. That would have been the equivalent when Jesus talked about the cross. It would have been a harrowing picture for a Jewish person. Horrible, disgusting, everything that was unpleasant about it. 
Do you notice how different the message of Jesus when he calls people to follow him and be his disciples is from the modern day message that we're just trying to tart it up so much and make it so glossy and attractive and eliminate anything that could be offensive. That is no surprise that those who begin to follow Jesus and follow that message that's tarted up and edited and glossy and eliminating anything that talks about dying to self and being crucified. Well, we end up with people in the church that are just like that. Still selfish. Still wanting to be on the throne. Not dying to self. Not taking up their cross. Jesus' message of come and follow me is honest. And I love that about Jesus. But he talks about that journey of death to self. You want to follow Jesus, I won't lie to you. It's going to be tough. It's not because I'm saying so. It's because he's saying so. You have to die to self, and you have to take up your cross, which talks about that hardship, that renunciation, the pain that comes with following him. And you begin to be identified with him. It was a prophetic statement. Again, remember, Jesus hadn't already been crucified. But actually, if you read it in retrospective, you realize that what Jesus is saying, you will have to live from now on being identified with me, because he was the crucified one. And actually, that's the most popular image that people would associate with Jesus is Jesus being crucified. So he's saying, you want to be my disciple? This is your identity. Anyone can do it. It has to be personal. You have to die to self and let me come and live in you and be the king of your life. It's going to be a tough journey. It's not easy. Again, Jesus, when he talks about the two ways, he says one is narrow and there are few on it. And it leads to eternal life. And one is wide, many on it, and it leads to destruction. But we've kidded ourselves that we want big churches. We want Christians to take over governments. And, and, and you know, Christian songs to be number one in the charts. And we've kidded ourselves that that's the right way. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the way that leads to eternal life is narrow, few on it. <laughs> And the invitation is to come and follow him. He said, come follow me. Take up your cross daily. The journey of discipleship is not part-time. Sorry. You can't apply for part-time discipleship. Jesus is daily. You know, we, we love this part-time discipleship. To do something when and if I, fill in the blanks, I feel, when I feel like it, if I feel like it. Everything about is about my feelings with regards to following Jesus. When I feel, if I feel. That invitation that Jesus gives doesn't allow us any room. You're looking very kind of frightened now. It's, it's just the words of Jesus. I'm not, I'm not trying to frighten you. Jesus is saying, take up your cross daily. Not part-time, not from time, not on a Sunday, not on a Thursday, not in the morning, doing my little quiet time in the morning and my little quiet time in the evening. No, Jesus is saying all throughout 24-7, the life of discipleship is a journey that you start and you'll be on it forever. There's no room for part-time stuff. When I feel, if I feel. Come follow me, Jesus is saying. Take up your cross daily. 
and follow me. That means that my eyes are on him. If I'm following him, my eyes are on him. Any of you been watching the Paralympics, the Winter Paralympics, blind or partially sighted skiers? Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. You know, obviously they can't, <laughs> they can't see, but they've got ways in which they're so connected to the person that is leading them. And they're absolutely, totally, and utterly dependent on that. I, I've seen this, this uh, documentary um, in the news a few weeks back of this uh, boy who is uh, blind. And one of his mates, in a very poor rural area, and one of his mates was teaching him to ride a bike. And just the fact that they were so close and they learned to listen to one another and listen to directions and everything else. It's, just, it's, it's, it's a small glimpse and a faint picture of what it means. But Jesus is saying, follow me. Our eyes are on him. That means that he dictates the course of our life. He helps me make the decisions in my life. He guides everything. He's in charge. I follow him. He goes forward and I go where he goes. I do what he tells me to. I follow him. It's essential to have that sense of direction and passion. They both come part of this package. Follow him. You know, people very proudly follow sports clubs. And they put us to shame. Frankly, they put us to shame. You know, you hear these grown-up blokes, you know, who would travel 600 miles to follow their club that they love, you know. And we sometimes have to travel six miles to get to a prayer meeting. (laughs) And Jesus is pointing out really clearly that actually, you know, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose or forfeit his very self? This is about winning at life. Jesus' point in order to encourage us to be his disciples and to follow him Though we would go through hardships, though it would be challenging, though we would have to take up our cross, though we would have to deny ourselves, we'll end up on the winning side. It's like Jesus said about the narrow way. Those who go on the narrow way, few are on it, they will be led to eternal life. In the same way, Jesus is saying, you know, you don't want to chase the wind. You don't want to build sandcastles in this world and end up losing at the end of your life when you draw the line have a big L put over it. Instead, you want to follow me. You want to die to self. You want to take up your cross daily. And then you would find yourself that you've won. What we do here, some of you recognize that line, echoes in eternity. And it's true. Every single decision that we make as a disciple of Christ will have an impact on our eternity. And I'm hoping that at least we're beginning to wake up and think more about eternity in these days. If we don't, you know, sadly, we're damned because we're just blind and deaf to the signals that are coming our way. Jesus is saying, why would you want to lose your life instead of winning it? By following me and being a disciple. Jesus is saying, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. That's strong. That's strong language, but it's true. We cannot be ashamed of Jesus and somehow expect that he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
when we have not died to self, take up our cross daily, and followed him. There's a real study case further on in verse 57 to 62. Let's, let's have a read of this. As uh, they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. I mean, I would expect Jesus, if he would have been a modern day pastor preacher or Christian leader, he would have said, come on, son, arms open wide, whatever you want. Because we want to have as many people in our church as possible. That's all that matters. More bombs on their seats, more money in our coffers, more popularity everywhere because we're a big church. So he says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus comes with a demotivational answer. (laughs) I'm just thinking, oh man, if I would be Jesus' PR man, I'd be thinking I'm tearing my hair out. Because this guy is doing everything he can do to try to dissuade people from actually following him cheaply. So Jesus replies to him, instead of saying, thank you very much, sir, please come and join my group of disciples. Lovely to see you. No, he says, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but a son of man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, he's painting a picture to him. He's saying, son, you want to follow me? Buckle up. It's going to be hard. And then it says, Jesus this time says to another man. So this is the beauty of how it works with Jesus. Sometimes Jesus would call us, and sometimes people would call to Jesus. And he calls him, and he says, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Again, if I'd be Jesus' PR man, I'd be thinking, oh, are you kidding me? Here is a man who comes with an excuse. And let me say this. Excuses are the enemies of discipleship. Excuses are the enemies of discipleship. Now, let's, let's be frank. This guy had a pretty valid excuse, in my humble opinion. So, you know, it's kind of... Fair enough. You, you, you know, they had somebody die in their family, and basically he, he wanted to bury his father. He was, he was pretty normal, pretty expected. But what Jesus does is shocking. Because Jesus is saying, let the bury, dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, but let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. Decent request. I mean, it's human. It's fine. It's okay. Anybody would have said, yeah, of course that's fine. Just go back, bury your father, say goodbye to your family. But Jesus is so strong. And what you've got to do is you've got to read that this is, this is an intensification that Jesus does in order to grab people's attention. You know, in another passage, Jesus is saying, if you don't hate your mother and your father in loving me more, then you're not worthy for the kingdom of God. You're not worthy to be my disciple. I mean, Jesus isn't saying go and hate your mother and father. It's an intensification. It's a hyperbole. It's a figure of speech. It's an intentional exaggeration that's meant to grab people's attention. So people go, what? It's like one of those things when there's a new movie that's being released. And what they do, they create a little bit of controversy that actually has got nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Just in order to attract attention to, to the whole movie. And people go and see the movie because there's a little bit of controversy to do with it. 
But Jesus' message, I think, is trying to say very, very clearly to these three types of people who are coming with excuses, justifiable excuses. He's trying to say to them, look, being a disciple is urgent, it is important, and it's tough. You're going to have to make some tough choices. It's almost like Jesus is recruiting Marines, right, Russell? Something like that. It's almost like that. He's being very, very honest, and he's saying, look, this is urgent. There's no room to mess about. There's no room to dilly-dally. There's no room to say, oh, I'm just going to you know, sort out my retirement, and then I come and follow you. Oh, I'll just sort out my kids. I'll sort out my business. I'll sort out my house. No, Jesus is saying, get on with it now, yesterday. <laughs> it's urgent. It's important, and it's sacrificial. It's going to cost you. What do you think it's like for the pastors and the missionaries that are staying behind in Ukraine? What's it like? They could have left. They haven't. In fact, I heard a story on Friday of a pastor's wife. She came to the border. She was able to get some of the aid that they wanted to take through to help some of the impoverished families in their churches. And she went back together with her teenage kids. They're going to stay behind. And all the churches have become first aid centers, hospital centers, counseling centers, you name it, makeshift. You know, nobody's trained them for that. They've not left. They could have left. They've not left. Do you think it's easy? It's not easy. But that's the call of Jesus, to be a disciple. It's urgent. It's important. It's tough. No messing about. What do we do with all of this? Let me throw three questions for us that would be very helpful. The first one is simply this. Who is Jesus to you? I can't run away from that question this morning. Jesus asked Peter that question. And I can't run away from that. I've got to ask you that question. Really? Honestly. Frankly, I don't care how long you've been around church. Because that can be a deterrent. You know. As I said to you, you can sometimes be in church with the wrong image of Jesus. But I want to ask you this morning, really honestly, and in the greatest simplicity, who is Jesus to you? Because if he isn't the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, you've mistaken him. And today is a chance to rectify that and actually realize that he has come as a Savior to save you from your sin. And as a king to submit to, who wants to take charge of your life. And if you're not able to say those two things, really frankly, really honestly to me, Christy, I can testify and I can testify publicly that Jesus is my savior and he died for my sins. And I've acknowledged that and I've embraced that and I recognize that. And also he is my Lord or king who I submit to. I don't run my life right now. He does. If you don't, in In the most polite way, I want to say to you, recognize that that's who Jesus is. Otherwise, it's been a kind of fake version of Jesus or diluted version of Jesus that somebody might have introduced you to. It might be your fault. And it's time today to respond to that and start that journey of discipleship. Discipleship is a journey. It's not a course you do. You know, we used to have this when I was growing up. You did a discipleship course for 10 weeks, and then you were a disciple. Suck that. I'm a disciple, Ryan. I'm learning now. I've got my L plates on like there's no tomorrow. 
we are on a journey of learning as apprentices of Jesus, and we keep on learning. And there's, there's this bizarre thing that goes on. I'll let you into a secret. It's a bizarre thing. The longer you go on, the more you realize how much you don't know and how, how, how far you are. <laughs> you'll be thinking that the longer you go on the journey, you think, oh, I'm closer now. I nearly arrived. No, it's the opposite. I'm thinking, I, I think I was nearest when I started than I am now. The journey goes on. And I'm praying that you start that journey this morning. Don't, don't, don't delay it. You, you don't want to miss the chance of doing that right here, right now. The second question is this. Have you died yet? I've asked you again a few weeks back. and uh, it, it, it just I can't run away from it. Because this is one of the reasons why I'm seeing this church in the West being very sick. Because the church in the West is not applying Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But the life that I now live, I live by the Son of God who loved me and died for me. The church in the West is filled with people who claim to be disciples of Jesus in the pews, who still run their lives. Yes, Jesus is their Savior, but he's not their Lord. He's not their King. And they've drawn this circle around them where they say, this is as much as I control. And that's as much as Jesus controls. And we need to discover Jesus' message where he says, you want to follow me, you have to die to self. There's there's no sugarcoating that. You have to die to self. And that means that my identity is not wrapped up around me. It is not about me. My life is not about me. It's about Jesus. The direction of my life is not about me. It's not what I want. It's not what I think. It's about Jesus, Jesus' will and Jesus' plan. And the passion of my life isn't Aston Villa or, or anything else. It is simply Jesus. That's what I live for every single day of my life. And again, I want to ask this question really strongly. Have you died yet? There are some symptoms that could tell you whether you're still alive and you haven't died yet. Number one, control. I crave control, don't you? I get most anxious, most upset, most rattled when I'm losing control. When I'm not in control, it's horrible. If we keep constantly wanting to be in control, that's a sign we haven't died yet. And we need to die to self. The second symptom that I think is really, really important is this approval addiction. We keep wanting people to like us, and we're desperate to do anything that it takes for people to like us. I want to say if we're caught in that, we haven't died to self yet. It's a dangerous game to play. And probably the the, the third one is this flirtation with FOMO, the fear of missing out. We keep fearing that somehow the world has something to offer that is better than what Jesus has. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's a job, whether it's a career, whether it's the pleasures of this life. Somehow we keep flirting with them. Thinking that somehow, almost if following Jesus will make us miss out on the best. And again, that's a sign. If we keep flirting with the fear of missing out, we haven't died to self yet. And maybe that will help us to make that decision. And it's a response that you can do today. And frankly... I've died many times to self, and I'm going to keep on dying today, and I'm going to keep on responding today because there's still so much more of Christy to die in order for Jesus to live as king.
in my life. And then the third question is this. Are you following him daily? It's that daily thing that Jesus said there. Doesn't he bug you? I, I would have loved for him to say monthly. You know, just to lower the standard a bit. Daily, man, that's pressure. That's real pressure. But that's what he said. Because what he's looking for is a relationship and a lifestyle. Not some part-time hobby. And that means that everything about me has to have an experience of Jesus' affection. You think human relationships, and again, poor analogy, but we'll go with that because it's the best we can do. You know, affection, daily affection, conversation, revelation, where he speaks to us. Action, it's about the things that we do because we're in that relationship. And it's representation as well that's so important. You know, if, if, if I'm in a relationship with Jesus 24-7, then there's no escape. I don't have to be Christy at work and Christy at home and Christy with my neighbors and Christy with the boys at the football. No, it's just Jesus present everywhere through Christy and in Christy. Because we're in a lifestyle relationship with him. The challenge of following Jesus daily, and again, I'm going to give you at least a few things. Number one, distractions. We get so distracted. You know, what, what do you do when you first wake up in the morning? <laughs> if you're my generation and under, <laughs> you have a look at the news. You go on Twitter. You go on Facebook. You, you know, you check your emails. No, it's just me, right? I'm the only crazy one like that. Distractions. You know, how do you want to have peace in your life? How do you want to be centered and focused on Jesus? Some of you that are not that generation that opens Facebook and Twitter and that kind of stuff, you wake up and you begin to think about the worrying stuff, about your kids whose relationships are not great, about your spouse whose health isn't great, about the things that aren't good right now in life. Distractions can be a real enemy to following Jesus, and we need to focus. We need to have that sense of making Jesus the focus of our life and eliminating those distractions, whatever they may be, in order for him to have room to speak in us and to build that intimacy. The other one is, uh, and, and, and frankly, I'm going to be honest, is disorganization. Sometimes we, we are not growing up and we're not following Jesus because we're disorganized. You know, we haven't even mastered our calendar or our diary, and we're kind of flying from one thing to another, absolutely crazy. And you find yourself at the end of the day, worn out, spiritually empty, with a tank that's not there. You, you know, <laughs> your, your tank, maybe Christian, a Christian tank, but if you don't put fuel and oil in it, if you don't look after it, if it doesn't have the maintenance, it's not going to be good. It's the same with our walk with Jesus daily. If we are not disciplined enough to actually say, no, I'm going to discipline myself and I'm going to give room and I'm going to order my life in such a way that Jesus is prominent. You know, if I'm, if, if I'm running all day and then I'm coming to do my devotions to Jesus at quarter to 11 at night, you know, I'm probably going to pray about Donald Duck or, or whatever. You know, I'm going to be half asleep praying, mumbling all sorts of nothing. It's going to be rubbish. I'm going to wake up next morning feeling spiritually empty. Why? There's a reason. There's a disorganization. And we need to be organized in order to walk with him daily. Those are really important things. And they're very practical. Changes that we need to make. God wants to work in us in order to grow as disciples of Jesus. But sometimes we 
try to run our lives, run our program, do whatever we want, and then kind of go, God, why does this relationship with you suck? Why is it so rubbish? Why is it just not good? Why is it so disappointing? You know, that's the challenge. So this morning, I just encourage you to really, really take Jesus' words about who he is and what he's calling us to do to follow him as his disciples. And I'm encouraging you to respond. We're going to have some songs. And during those songs, there's space for you to respond. There where you are. This is a one-to-one issue. It's not a bulk response. It's a one-to-one personal issue. You and Jesus. Is Jesus the Messiah? You can respond to him. He calls you to be his disciple. He says, whoever wants to follow me, let him come. And whatever strikes a note with you from what we've read from Jesus this morning and what I've tried to, (laughs) the best of my ability, unpack, let's respond and speak to him as we worship. And then after the worship is finished, we will have availability for people in the prayer ministry team to pray. Just come on the front seats and some of the people in the prayer team will come and pray with you. Again, trying to bed in that decision to follow Jesus as his disciples and to grow as his disciples. Let's stand together.